0: Let's pray. God, thank you so much for how you work in and through our lives, how you teach us through challenging situations, and how we look at uh, what all that Paul is going through here in Jerusalem, and just uh, teach us through his life, through his faith, through his example, through his trusting of you. Lord, we just give you this time, and we give it to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's go ahead and continue with our theme verse, Acts 1.8, so let's read that together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, there's a lot of things in life it takes courage to do, right? So let me just share a few with you. It takes courage to go zip lining, right? To, to go fast down this line high above the ground. I've done that. And it was a lot of fun. It takes courage to wrestle an alligator. That I have not done. (laughs) Nor will I ever do. But I have seen it done at Gatorland in Florida. It takes courage to serve your country, to fight for your country, which I know many of you have done, and you know many who have done it. And it takes courage to share our faith. We've been talking about the book of Acts and how the disciples were going around and they were preaching about God's love and they were preaching about salvation. They were leading people to understand that in their sin they, they could not be saved. They were lost in their sinful desires. But in Christ they could find salvation, they could find hope, they could find love, they can find purpose in their life. But because of that, they were experiencing oppression, they're experiencing being beaten. And even sometimes some of them were killed. In the last couple chapters, Acts 21 and 22, Paul goes to Jerusalem and he faces great hardship there. And he's beaten by the people after he preaches the message of the gospel to them. And then even after that, in chapter 22, he says, let me speak to them still. And he speaks his testimony after he's been beaten to the people who have beaten him, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about the love of God. But then they're angry with him and they bring him before the court. And we see today that the Lord is going to encourage him. The Lord is going to give him the courage to continually do the things that Paul needs to do to fulfill the call that the Lord has given to Paul. And we too need to learn about this courage, because it takes courage to live for Jesus. It takes courage to share our testimony, to tell people about Jesus. It takes courage sometimes just to live life, right? And so hopefully we can gain this understanding from Paul's example, from Paul's faith. So last week we heard about Paul's impassioned testimony, about how he thought he was living for God, how he was doing the right thing, how he was upholding the law, how he was persecuting those who were not following the law, mainly the the followers of Christ, we saw that Paul met Jesus, and his heart was softened, and he gave his life to Christ, and his life was forever changed. And he committed himself to preaching about Jesus to all who did not know him, to all who did not follow him. He saw that he was wrong in the way he was living. He saw that he was a sinner, that he was misguided, that he could not be saved by law. He could only be saved by Jesus. And so he was coming to these Jews who were trying to live by the law, uphold the law, thinking that the law was so great, and he was preaching Christ over the law. As we come to chapter 23, we see that Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin, the religious council of Paul's day. And he says in verse 1, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. And at that, the high priest ordered the person that was standing closest to Paul to strike him in his mouth. Isn't it interesting how when when you get around non-Christians, somehow when you talk about Jesus, it makes them so angry. I don't know if it's the conviction or the guilt, if you're making them feel unworthy, whatever it is, sometimes when you're around non-Christians and you're talking about Jesus, it just makes them angry. And the chief priest was so angry at Paul that he had him struck on the mouth. Now, at this point, probably you or me would be thinking, maybe I should not talk anymore, right? Maybe I should stay quiet. Maybe I shouldn't upset the court anymore, right? This court that has authority over me. But not Paul. Right? Paul shows courage when he says in verse 3 God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law. Let you yourself violate the, the law by commanding that I be struck. Commanding that I be struck. Could imagine the tension that came into the room at that moment. He's calling them a whitewashed wall, right? He's basically offending them. Now, this isn't the first time that's happened, right? You remember Jesus, right? Remember Jesus did that to the Pharisees? In Matthew 23, 27, and whenever you see the yellow, please read with me. Jesus said this, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead.'" and everything unclean. What does this mean? What was being said by Jesus, and what is being said by Paul when they're calling them whitewashed tombs, whitewashed walls? Well, see, the religious leaders of Paul's day took great care in trying to appear to be holy, right? They tried to do all they could to fulfill the law, to live according to the law, thinking that by living according to the law, it made them holy. And so they gave this presence of superiority. They gave this presence of holiness. They gave this presence of, I'm educated, you're not, so I'm above you. And they had this attitude, and the people had this respect and this attitude back toward them. And what Jesus was saying and what Paul is saying here is you need to look inside yourself and you need to understand the sin and the decay that is in your life because it's been left unchecked and you're not admitting your sin before the Lord and so you're living as if you're holy but you're not inside, you are decaying. You are dead because of your sin. Paul is wanting them to admit their sinfulness so that they might see that they need Christ. And then they might turn to him and be cleaned and be saved. I mean, isn't that what happened to Paul, right? He was in the same place as them. He's saying, I understand what you're thinking. I understand what you... What you're, how you're living. I live like you. I mean, that's a very powerful testimony when you share with someone that you've experienced the same thing as them and you saw that what you were doing was wrong and why it was wrong and then you changed your life. Christ actually changed his life. And he says, I want that for you. You're lost. You're dead. I want that for you. We need to see what Paul is doing and realize that not only should we share the gospel, the good news, the love of God, the salvation of God by telling our testimony, but we also need to speak the truth to people sometimes. There's a truth sometimes that's not easy to speak, but we need to speak it. People need to hear it. Now, you need to do it in love. You need to not attack them. You need to make sure that you don't make yourself appear to be above them, that you are saying to them, I'm holy and you're not, or I'm better than you. You need to never do that. But you need to speak. I need to speak. We need to speak the truth of God and love sometimes, and that's not always easy. So what truths do we need to speak in love? Well, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about four things, how people are lost, people are sinners, people are helpless on their own and enslaved in their sin, now people are believing the wrong things. So the first truth is that we need to tell people they're lost. They're lost. Now, I want you to think back for, with me for a moment, back to the day before there was GPS. And we have to go back a little ways. Before there were phones on you know, our phones that have GPS, right? And so, you remember the Thomas Guide map? Remember that book? I had one of those books. You know, and so you'd, you'd open it up and you'd find, you know, they'd give you like E4 or whatever, right? And then you'd go and then you'd find your way, right? And then you followed the directions of the map, right? You could actually read a map, right? And so you'd follow the map, but sometimes I remember I would read the map wrong. And so I'd be driving along, and I'm like, hmm, this doesn't seem right. Maybe I'm lost. But you know, us men, what do we do, right? Instead of stopping and looking at the map or stopping and asking for directions, what do we do? We drive faster. (laughs) Right? You drive faster because then you're going to get to where you want to go, right? But really what you're doing is you're getting farther lost, faster, Right, and then finally, you have to humble yourself and you say, "I think I'm really lost now," and then you stop and you open the map or you actually go and ask someone for directions. But you know, I want I want to make a disclaimer here though. GPS doesn't always get you where you want to go. In fact, yesterday I was going to the restaurant. Right, so I'm going up Carson. I'm going to Lucille's. And I'd been there once, and I kind of knew where it was, but I'm listening to my GPS, and I'm up, and I get to Hawthorne, and it says, turn left. So I turn left, and I get to center or drive, or whatever that is, and it says, make a U-turn. <laughs> and then it takes me back across Carson. I'm like, why don't you just have me turn right <laughs> to begin with, right? Have me turn left, and then make a U-turn and come back. So GPS doesn't always work right. But sometimes we are lost, and we have to admit that we're lost, and we have to seek direction. We have to ask God for help. We have to say, God, I am lost in my sin. And sometimes we need to tell that truth to people. We need to let them know, you're lost. You're going the wrong direction. And no matter how fast you go in that direction, no matter how long you go in that direction, you will still be lost. In fact, you will be more lost by continuing to go in that direction. Maybe they're lost in thinking that they know how to get to God and they know how to get to heaven. Maybe they're lost in thinking that, oh, God is a loving God and he'll never send anyone to hell. Or maybe they're lost in thinking that the things that they do on this earth, the sins they commit on this earth, doesn't impact their eternal destination. Whatever they're doing, if they do not have Christ in their life guiding them, they're lost. And they need to know about Jesus, and they need to know that he will be their guide, he will be their savior and he will direct them to the right place. But second, we need to tell people that they are sinners. Now, this is not easy, and this is not popular in our world, because people don't want to hear that they are sinners. They only want to hear encouraging things. Now, I have a confession. Sometimes I actually do watch Dancing with the Stars. I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but you have these stars, athletes, different people like that, that, that are paired up with a professional dancer, and each week they learn a dance and they perform it. And then there's usually three judges who judge them and give them a score. But not only do they give them a score, but they also give them critique of their dance. Now, these are not dancers, so there's a lot of things they do wrong in the dance, right? And so the judges are trying to help them understand what they've done wrong so that they can improve upon it. But it's interesting because when you watch the show, if they ever say anything negative... The audience boos. Every time, any negative thing they say, the audience boos. The the audience only wants to hear positive things. And that's kind of how people are in our life, right? Or in this world. They only want to hear positive things. They don't want to hear things like, you're a sinner. But we need to tell people, you're a sinner, because it's a truth. And if we don't admit that truth, then we will never get better at our life, because we will never seek Christ for help. We think we can do it on our own and we think we don't need help. It's actually very encouraging and important information for us to tell people that they are sinners. Okay, so then third, we need to tell them that they are helpless on their own and they are enslaved in their sin. They're actually saved in their sin and they're losing The battle against Satan. Satan is very powerful, and Satan is very deceptive, and he tricks us into thinking that what is not true is actually true. And so we walk along thinking we know what is true, kind of like Paul thinking that the law would save him, and then he comes to know the truth, which is, Jesus saves me. And so, on our own, we're helpless in this battle against Satan Because we don't have anyone or anything to help us in fight this battle. We don't have anyone to help us or to protect us. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, we now have a protector. And we are told in the scriptures that we are filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is there to guide us. And even more, here's some wonderful truth. We are given the armor of God. Ephesians 6 10 to 18, and somehow this got like, I don't know, we're missing some of the words to the right. So you're going to just have to do your best um, to read with me in the yellow, and I'll read the rest of it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, Paul says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, there is so much I could say about this passage. In fact, I could do a whole series of sermons on this passage. It is packed full of great truths of the the Lord. But I do want to just remind us that we have been given the armor of God. We have been given God's protection. We have been given the promise that God is there watching over us. Without Christ and the Spirit, we are helpless in our sin in our battle against Satan. But with Christ, we have all hope. And this is a truth we must tell others. Fourth, we need to tell people that they are believing the wrong things. Now, it's getting harder and harder in our world to talk about this, right? I mean, we live in a world that, that basically promotes anything you believe, anything you think is right, anything you think is good, that's good. And I have to accept your good, and I have to affirm you for your good, and I can't say anything against your good, and I can't say what you think or what you believe is wrong, right? We live in that kind of a world where nothing is wrong and you're not allowed to tell anybody that what they think and what they do is wrong. Now think about that kind of world. That's like being a parent that never disciplines your child. And if you've ever seen a child that has not been disciplined, you know what kind of children they, or what kind of people they grow up to be, right? Any of you have teachers that have kids like that in your classroom that have not been disciplined by your parents, you know how difficult it is to deal with that kind of child in your classroom, or just in life in general. We need to be able to speak the truth in love to say, you're believing the wrong things. I read something yesterday, I couldn't believe what I read, that gender is a societal thing. That society basically has established gender. And I looked at that, and I wanted so much to respond to that. But I never... I never have conversations on social media. It, they go nowhere, right? And it, you just get, end up getting attacked for it, and you can't really explain yourself, and you can't have a discussion through it. So I didn't respond in that setting, and hopefully there will be a time when I, I meet that person and I could say something to them. But what, what, a, what a wrong way of thinking. I wanted to say to them, if I did say something, I wanted to say, God, our creator of all things, created us male and female. I mean, go to Genesis 1, right? Male and female, he created us. Male and female. Gender, there are two genders. He, he established two separate genders. That is the truth of the word. And it's harder and harder to say to people, Satan uh, Christ is the only way to heaven. Because they look at us and they think that we're judgmental, right? And so they don't want to hear that but we have to speak the truth of God Jesus himself if you remember so that was the fourth one Jesus himself in John 14:6 said I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me And so when you tell people that it's only in Christ that they are saved, it's not something that you've made up. It's not something that you think is true alone. It is something that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth and said, this is what is true, and this is what we need to believe, and this is what we need to speak. And so when we're speaking the truth in love, one of the truths we need to say to people is, "Is Jesus, and only through Jesus, Jesus, that we are saved, you come up to the door in heaven and there is only one way into that, into heaven. There is only one ticket that you can have that will get you into heaven and that is Jesus. And there is no other truth. The Bible makes that clear. Jesus makes that clear. That is the truth of God, a truth that we can stand on and a truth that we need to speak to others so that more and more people believe it instead of following Satan's deception and Satan's lies and going down this path, the thinking that there are many ways to God. Remember the story that Jesus told one time of the rich man who died, and he went to hell, and he said to the Lord, can you please send someone to my brothers to tell them the truth? He was begging God, please send someone. you know who that someone is? It's you. And it's me. We need to tell people the truth to save them from sin and destruction. God needed to give Paul courage because after this whole ordeal, he was taken to jail and a plot against his life was made. How sad that they heard these words of Paul and instead of being softened in their heart and turning to Jesus, they were angered and they made a plot to kill Paul. And what they said is just amazing. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until what? We have killed Paul. What an oath. That's how upset they were. They were going to do everything they could to kill Paul. Not too long ago, if you remember, I told you the story about my um, youth director who was angry at me and so was speaking false things behind my back to people and causing a lot of problems. And you know, it really took a lot of courage for the people whom she was talking to to stand up and defend me and to speak against her because she was very strong personality, and it took a lot of courage for them to say, no, what you're saying is not true. You can only imagine the tension that that caused in that setting. You know, you're, you're, they were sewing, knitting. I think they were knitting. You know, knitting is supposed to be calm, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, oh, you know what? This is about the pastor, this is about the pastor. No, that's not true. I mean, what a conversation that must have been in the midst of knitting, huh? I think knitting never gets tense, right? but it took courage for them to stand up for me. And we see this happening right here in our scripture. Paul had a nephew who overheard this plot, and he came to Paul, and he told Paul what was being plotted. And Paul brought him to the centurion who was guarding him, and he said to the centurion, you need to take my nephew to the commander and let the commander know what is being planned. And the centurion took Paul's nephew. Now, it took a lot of courage for Paul's nephew to come to the jail. It took a lot of courage for Paul's nephew to be willing to go in front of the commander and speak to him. It took courage for the centurion to take him to the commander when he was not asked to come before him. It took courage for all of these people to do this to support Paul and what was going on. And Paul knew that God's divine providence would be with him and watching over him and Paul shows courage by trusting in God in these difficult events in his life. We show courage when we trust in God, when we show faith in the frightening situations that come about in our life. Maybe we come into conflict with someone and when we trust God that God will help us work it out and in love we come to them and we we try to work out that conflict. We we show courage when we When we deal with an illness or or something happening in our life that's unexpected and we walk through that and we trust that God will will get us out of that and will take care of us and watch over us. We trust God and we we take courage when we trust God in in the financial challenges that we face and we believe God. God, I'm going to trust in you and you're going to get me through this. We have courage when we share our faith with others when that opportunity comes arises. You know, help often comes in unexpected ways. I came across this photo. I thought it was the best photo. It's so great. And it was actually taken by someone who was observing this scene. And so what, let me kind of explain the scene to you. You see the lioness there and she was carrying her cub and you see the cub in the, in the um, elephant's trunk. And what was going on is this lioness was carrying her cub and the lioness was getting very tired and having difficulty and stopped, and, and the, lion, the elephant came out of the brush and put down its trunk on the ground, and the cub climbed up into the elephant's trunk, and along they went together on their journey. Isn't that amazing? I, mean, it's like, I saw this picture. The first time I saw this picture, I was like, wow, that's amazing. The cub just went over to the elephant, and, and the elephant lifted up, and the lioness allowed this to happen, and they're just walking side by side, so, so at peace. Isn't that an amazing picture? And I thought, you know, this is a great testimony to how God oftentimes works in our life in unexpected ways and brings unexpected people or unexpected help to our life, and we have to be open for that. And sometimes you might say, well, I didn't expect that, so I'm not going to accept it, right? No, God works in our life when we trust in God, and he works in our life in very unexpected ways. And this happens in Paul's situation as well. Because the commander could have easily ignored Paul's plea. He could have said, that story's not true. I don't believe you. You're just trying to you know, get out so that you can uh, escape or whatever. We, we didn't, don't know if the commander was a Christian or not. He probably wasn't. So He could have easily said, I don't really care about you. You're just a prisoner. But Paul trusted that the commander didn't want anything to happen under his watch. And so he believed that when he went or when he sent his nephew and the centurion to the commander, that the Commander would step up. And this is the commander's response. Read the yellow part with me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Now, look at that for a moment. I want you to really take that in. Now, this is Paul, a prisoner, one person. What is in this detachment? 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. You think the commander wanted to make sure nothing was going to go down? I mean, what a detachment, all for the protection of Paul, who was a prisoner. This is why Paul was willing to show courage wherever the Lord sent him, because he knew that the Lord had his back and would find ways to protect him. Now, a lot of people might say, oh, that's not the Lord's doing. That's that's just... No. The Lord works in amazing ways, often in ways we don't even expect, and from people who we might not expect. Now, the definition of courage is a pretty simple one. The ability to do something that frightens one. I think I told you before, I have a a fear of heights. But... I could do zip lining because I know I'm tied in and protected, right? So even though I'm going super fast and I'm high above the ground, I'm tied in so I feel safe. I can ride roller coasters because I know I'm locked in and I'm safe. When we trust the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit who ties us in, who locks us in, who bounds us and protects us and watches over us and helps things to work out for the good. And we can trust in God, and we can take courage because we know that the Lord is there with us, even when we might be frightened, but we can have courage in the Lord. See, we show courage when we deal with the conflict with God's help, to get it resolved. We show courage when we trust that even though we don't know how things are going to work out, that God will work them out for the good. We show courage when we are willing to talk about our faith to another person even though we don't know how they're going to respond. We show courage when we step out in faith and we serve the Lord even though we don't feel fully prepared. We show courage when we serve in a ministry in church. We show courage when we give of our money even though it's difficult to give. We show courage by living for the Lord, doing what he calls us to do each and every day. We show courage. Let me close with a couple of uh, news headlines. I googled um, stories of courage, and here's a couple of headlines I came across. Desmond Doss, a noncombatant, rescued 75 men one at a time while under fire. So he was not in the war. He was not part of the war, but he saved 75 men even though he was not in the war. Roxana Kassar, 21-year-old woman, fought and killed militants who attacked her and her family. Irina Sendler saved 2,500 children from the Nazis. Jacqueline Lucas jumped on two grenades and survived. Anthony Omari fought off machete-wielding attackers while defending an orphanage. These are scenes of Courage. And oftentimes when we think of courage, we think of someone doing something in help of another person, right? Someone's in a disaster and they come into that disaster and they help and they're showing courage to help them in the, in the midst of this disaster. Or in the midst of a war, someone steps up and does something courageous and saves another person or saves a group of people. And so we can show that same kind of courage each and every day that we live our life because Christ lives in us. And Christ guides us. And Christ gives us the truth. And Christ helps us to understand what is good and right and true. And God walks with us and leads us. Joshua took over from Moses. And Moses, as you know, was just this great leader, right? But he was not allowed to go to the promised land. And so Joshua took over for him. You can only imagine Joshua was fairly young and how nervous he was to be the leader and to lead God's people into the promised land. And so these are the words that the Lord gives to Joshua in Joshua 1.9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's what I want to leave with you Be strong and courageous, for the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Take courage, for I am with you, God says. Let us pray.